We're going to be looking at the opening verses there and then considering a number of things on just a typical grammatical level, on a philosophical level, and a theological level. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpent. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happen unto them for an example and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. There has no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may, able, may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, there are a number of categories in this. I need my uh, mic brought down just a tad more. There's a number of categories in this that we have to actually identify if this exhortation is going to make, I mean, really, really good sense. And, and I wanted to. Uh, for, for those of us who understand uh, something about grace and something about salvation, when you read verses 1 through 14, there's a kind of tension that emerges. And the tension is always the tension of being warned of missing out on something, even though you are presumed to be those who are partakers of that very thing you are being warned that you might miss out on. And I'm going to say it again because this is the part that we're not always comfortable with. Here's another way I'll put it. Why would Paul warn the believer to be careful not to miss out on the kingdom in the way in which these people in the Old Testament missed out on the kingdom if in fact we are believers in Christ? That's a good question, isn't it? So I'm going to phrase it again because what I want us to uh, consider is the title of our study and then how the Apostle Paul approaches it and obviously enters into it. I think what he really wants us to uh, understand are a couple of things. Privileges, and responsibilities with those privileges. I think that's what he wants us to understand. Privileges and responsibilities with those privileges. The thought that we uh, are to take away from our outline, and I gave us four points because I'm really only going to be dealing with three today briefly, 
and I probably won't get much through that, but I'll be able to highlight the titles of all four. The thought he wants us to take away is that they force us to ask a certain kind of question. And that question is, what is it, Lord, that you don't want us to be ignorant of? And that's given in verse one again. Look at verse one. Wherefore, brethren, I would not that you should be what? Right. Now, that's a term that Paul uses a lot. And we could sit here for the rest of the evening on the term ignorant. But it's certainly what Paul is saying. I don't want you to be ignorant. And, and so the exhortation proceeds from this desire, this thelos, that's what it's called for Paul. His desire is that you and I would not be ignorant. And the term ignorance is something that runs through the Old Testament, but it emerges as a constant warning in the New Testament. The idea of being ignorant is to, one, either not have understanding, and you don't have understanding because you are outside of exposure to certain information, certain data that would inform you so that you are not ignorant. Or ignorant can also mean that you are in a kind of spiritual disposition that does not afford you the ability to understand and comprehend what you should. This term ignorance is the Greek term uh, agneo, from which we get the term agnostic agnostic and I, I really want to kind of make sure that we get that today uh, agneo agno agneo it's from which we get our term a is always a negative preposition it's a not pre preposition or a no or an un and the uh, nea is for us ganea actually is knowing knowing and really it's the same thing as atheist or I'm sorry, not atheist, but agnostic. And that's a slight difference from um, atheist. But to be agnostic is to assert that you don't what? No. So an agnostic position is a position where an individual is not secure in the data and information necessary for them to have a conviction about certain things. And there are a lot of people that live agnostically. You might know some of them it would seem like them to be a safe place to be. Like, I don't really know. I don't, I don't really know, right? Um, I'm not saying I believe, I'm not saying I don't believe, I'm saying I don't what? I don't know. Well, what, what, what God's word does is it tells you and me, not knowing is not a safe place, right? So that's kind of what we wanna deal with too, because if we were to look at a number of passages around being ignorant and not understanding, those passages would warn us of a kind of danger, okay? They would warn us of a kind of danger. I'm going to run through a few. The first one would be Mark chapter 9, verse 32. And of course, Christ is speaking here about being ignorant and not understanding. So we'll lay a foundation with this, with this query. Start back at verse 30. I just want to see if we can contextualize it. And they departed this and they passed through Galilee and he would not that any man should know. He's doing ministry and he's not right now wanting the public at broad to know. Verse 31. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, the son of man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. So he had begun to warn the disciples that the season was going to change. In other words, for two years, 
he was very popular. The third year, he lost his popularity. But the disciples hadn't caught up. They had a great lag in their mind around who Jesus was and his popularity. And what Christ wanted them to do was catch up on the environmental attitude that was already emerging around him. They were lagging. And he wanted them to know, hey, hey, fellas, they're going to kill me. Okay, I'm, I'm letting you know now. And he had repeatedly let them know that where they were headed, they weren't prepared for. So they were in a certain sense psychologically agnostic. Okay, it's important to get that. Look at verse 31, 32. But they what? Understood not the saying and were afraid to ask. So at this point, you know that there's something that the master's saying and you know that you're outside of the loop of comprehension, but you're afraid to ask. That's a precarious state to be in, isn't it? All right. So we can launch all the way to the cross. And now that we're looking at this verse, now we can understand that as the rulers came to take Jesus, how Peter was ready to fight and then the rest were ready to scatter and everybody denied who he was and, and no one was really prepared, were they? Because they were operating out of a kind of agnosticism that avoided getting the answer necessary that would have prepared them for this event. Does that make some sense? So when we're talking about uh, being ignorant, a lot of people take pride in ignorance, but Christians ought not to. Now, we're not going to know everything, but we can know a lot of things. And what we're coming to discover, even in our culture, is that as you and I grow in knowledge, we also have to grow in confidence because confidence is a side of faith that's needed to be able to actually say what you believe. Would you agree with that? And I'll say that again as a rule because I'm getting ready to press into it. The more you and I grow in the knowledge of God, we are cultivating our faith. When you cultivate your faith, it allows you to have courage to say what you believe and to declare who you are and whose you are. That's when your faith is cultivated. It, it will even surprise you sometimes when it will come out of you and go, whoa, I'm boy, I'm bold today. And that was grace that cultivated faith in you, right? The Lord is with you. Now, you know, you know, you and I are given to all kind of equivocations, but some days you're so full of the spirit, you just 